0: Joining me is Tony Alessandra, an internationally recognized author of 27 books translated into a number of different languages. He's a speaker in the Speaker Hall of Fame and founder of the Platinum Rule Group, which provides products that helps salespeople build and maintain positive relationships with their customers. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that one of my passions is sales education and not necessarily sales training, but sales reps committing to continuously learn whatever they can about sales, their products, most importantly, themselves, in order to be the best they can be. And it's usually easiest to get sales reps to learn about selling and sales skills and their products, but how much time do they spend learning about their most important sales asset, which is themselves, and how they work? And I'd say they probably don't spend enough time on that. And my guest today, Dr. Tony Alessandra, is going to talk about assessments and self-assessments and learning tools that sales reps can use in the difficult task of building relationships with prospects that are the necessary precursor to winning business. So, Tony, welcome to the show. Thank
1: you very much. I appreciate it.
0: So take a minute to introduce yourself. How'd you get into this field?
1: Well, uh, if we really want to go back to the beginning. Sure. I I went to Catholic grammar school. And one of the ways that they raise money is they have all the little kids, you know, from first grade on up, go out typically every, uh, you know, month or, quarter, uh, selling something, whether it was uh, candy bars or raffles or whatever.
0: Wrapping paper. We,
1: yeah, yeah. Whatever <laughs> it was, we were out there selling. And I always did well. So people used to tell me, even as a little kid, they would reinforce, you know, you're, you've you got the gift of gab, you've got the power of persuasion. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that stuck with me. Then uh, as I went away to college, my parents only had enough money to pay for my freshman year. Uh, and between my freshman and sophomore year, I got a job selling pots and pans, cookware, uh, door-to-door. Oh, and, I love it. On the Jersey Shore. Uh, product was called Saladmaster. Ironically, I only found this out years later, at the same time I was selling Saladmaster cookware on the Jersey Shore, uh, one of the top salespeople from Saladmaster was selling cookware in Texas. Are you ready for the name?
0: Uh, Mary Kay?
1: Zig Ziglar. Oh, Zig Ziglar. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, anyway, I, I, I really, really did well. I mean, my first summer, uh, here I was, a 19-year-old between freshman and sophomore year, and nine weeks, in 1966, earned almost $5,000. So. Wow was able to pay tuition you know back then tuition was really cheap I think it was uh I don't know maybe twenty five hundred bucks uh, either a, a semester or a year you know plus books and stuff like that so,
0: well so what were you doing I mean how were you why were you so good at it
1: I uh you know they 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 trained us what to do uh I really did have a a good outgoing personality and uh you know, just followed uh, followed the plan and did well, and did better than even other people in in you know that same office, the Jersey Shore office, who were taught the same things. But you know, some. So, people- what was
0: your first question? Do, can you remember what your open was? Uh, I can't. know. This, okay.
1: this is a long time. <laughs> hey, wait a second. This will be, this summer will be 50 years ago that I actually started selling the cookware. Now, back then, Andy, listen to this. Back then, I was selling a 10-piece set of cookware for $300. Whoa,
0: that's expensive.
1: Yeah, very expensive. But, you know, it was incredibly good cookware. Now, of course, I didn't realize that, you know, we just preached, you know, the – the uh the gospel that they told us to preach, they told us it had a lifetime guarantee, it had bake like plastic handles, surgical stainless steel, copper interior, you know, the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but uh, when I stopped selling, uh, I actually got a set at cost for my mother. And you know, forty plus years later, my mother still was using the cookware, so it it did have, in (laughs) essence, a lifetime guarantee. And you know, my mother, a classic New York Italian mother, used that cookware every day. You know, not you know some people who might just use it sparingly. But anyway,
0: a lot of gravy uh, and meatballs.
1: A lot of gravy and meatballs. That's right. So uh, anyway, that that also reinforced that I was good in sales. I I sold a couple of other products. uh, And then when I graduated college, I got an MBA at the University of Connecticut, graduated uh, undergrad from Notre Dame. Uh, Then I went, uh, let's see, I was 23 years old, had a brand new MBA and got a job teaching at Susquehanna University in Pennsylvania. And Mm -hmm. what did I teach but professional sales. And did that two years there, one year in uh, at Cal State Fullerton. And the interesting thing about Cal State Fullerton is the head of the marketing department there was the author of the best-selling sales college text in the United States, But he had me teaching sales, not him. Uh, After that one year, right now, I'm 26. I decide I want to get my PhD. I go to Georgia State University in Atlanta. They give me a full-time teaching position while I was getting my doctorate. And what was I teaching but professional salesmanship? And my doctoral chairman was a guy named Dr. David Schwartz. Now, I don't know if that name means anything to you. But he had a multi-million best-selling book called The Magic of Thinking Big. And it was hmm. a book that I had read as a, as a teenager and had a big impact on me, you know, positive uh, thinking type book. And uh, uh, while I was there teaching sales, getting my PhD in marketing, uh, calls would come into the university and, and uh, if it was a marketing uh, problem you know a business that would call if it was a marketing problem come to the marketing department if it was a sales department uh, issue they they sent it to me so that got me into the whole sales consulting and sales training which eventually led to sales speaking uh and uh, once I got my PhD, came out to San Diego in the summer of '76. Uh, had a full-time position at the University of San Diego, again teaching a, a few different marketing classes. But of course, professional salesmanship, marketing strategy at the graduate level. Uh, but was also on the side. I was doing sales training and speaking, and and writing. My first book, which was called Non Manipulative Selling. And when that book came out in January of 79, that is when I left teaching and became a full time uh, professional speaker. And
0: the rest is sort of history. The rest is history. Well, it is, is history. <laughs> yeah, it's a great history. So I want to kick off our conversation. So, sort of, as we talked about it in the open, or I talked about in the open, is, is you know, talk about this issue of sort of professional development and sales. And, and I'd like to start with this you know, quote from Socrates about the unexamined life is not worth living. And I think you'd probably buy into that. But it seems to be the default for so many salespeople. You know, they're always looking for external reasons why they aren't successful, aren't making money, aren't achieving, aren't happy. And it seems like you've really built your whole business around making them assess themselves first.
1: Absolutely. Uh, back in 2000, 2000- I decided to spin off my entire staff into a separate business called Speakers Office. And they manage now like 14 or 15 different speakers, top speakers, many in the Hall of Fame. Uh, And so what what I did at the time is I took what was a fixed overhead, all these employees, the office, et cetera, and made it a variable cost. So when they booked me or sold my product, I just paid percentages. Then I took the money that I was earning from speaking and I put it into a a new business I started building uh, which was called Assessments 24 by 7 and you know I go all the way back to 1974 when I first got into the assessment business uh, which was a social styles assessment uh, social style sales type uh, related uh, questionnaire And uh, back then, it was all paper-based up until 96 when I put it online. And then in 2000, I actually turned it into a business. And my first big customer was Ken Blanchard, uh, you know, the author Mm -hmm. of The One Minute Manager. So that really, really – uh, was the foundation of my business for many, many years. I mean, they were by far the biggest customer, but, you know, little by little, I started getting other big customers and spreading the risk. You know, if I lost Blanchard early on, I, I don't know if I would have stayed in that business, but the whole concept, Andy was, uh, assessing, uh, salespeople, assessing managers, you know, uh, an assessment—the uh, biggest assessment we sell right now, obviously, is called DISC. DISC stands for Dominance, Influence, Steadiness, and Conscientiousness. So it measures the behavioral pattern, the st- excuse me—the communication style of the salesperson, and uh, gives them suggestions about what their strengths and struggles might be, uh, so that they can actually uh, develop a, a self-improvement path to get better at the things that uh, they have the weaknesses in, and to enhance the areas that are really their strengths. Uh, It also serves as a blueprint for the sales managers in dealing with the salespeople in terms of of training and coaching. Um, That's the biggest assessment we use. We have a a whole bunch of others. We have what we call the Sales IQ uh, assessment that I developed with Jim Cathcart, and uh, Jeffrey Gittimer. Mm-hmm. The three of us are, are co-authors of that. Uh, and a whole variety of others. A Hartman value profile, the motivators assessment, and on and on and on.
0: Uh, well, let me but, ask you a sort of philosophical question. So then okay. what are, you know, after all your experience doing these assessments and, and seeing the results and working with companies, you know, what are the biggest barriers to success, success that sales reps create for themselves?
1: Well, I, the, the, to me, the biggest single barrier is either their self management skills, which means time management and organization, uh, which may be lacking. You know, a lot of people, when they look at this disc concept, they believe that the eye patterns see dominance, mm-hmm. influence, they believe that the eye pattern. Uh, is the natural salesperson. And they certainly have the more natural persuasive skills, but see one of their, one of their big weaknesses is organization. And sometimes they take on too much and don't finish things. Sometimes they promise more than they actually deliver. Uh, So that, that, that's a big weakness. The other big weakness is, uh, you know, some people who get into sales, if they get into a slump, they don't know how to get out of a slump. Uh, and you know there's a, there's natural cycles, especially with outside salespeople when they're out prospecting they're not making a lot of sales when they're making a lot of sales they 're not necessarily prospecting and uh you know so they go into peaks and valleys uh and and they 've got to learn how to level those out a little bit better, maybe getting an assistant, getting somebody who does have the the uh more uh uh, organizational skills that they may not uh, naturally have. Uh, so I think a lot, you know, maybe maybe self-talk, maybe uh, a lack of training, uh, maybe they're uh, natural bent for not being as organized as uh, as they should be.
0: Well, one of the the real key things, yeah, because I mean, you talk about the power of being able to build, you know, lasting, enduring relationships with, with customers is increasingly as we read more and more, it so much depends on that first impression that the a sales rep creates with a, a potential prospect. And yeah, my own research shown you know, those are very sticky and hard to change. so I don't know, I've always sort of envied people that are really very facile with people up front you know, and strangers, and to me i'm I'm a little more reserved. so when people that have a hard time making that first connection, what are what aren't they doing that they should be doing? or well, I
1: think uh, yeah, one of the things well, first of all, Let's get to the, the, the first basic, and the first ba- basic is the way they dress, all right? You want to dress as well or just one notch better than the people that you're calling on. Uh, we learn that in the speaking business. You know, If I'm speaking to, let's say, uh, hypothetically, people in the farm business, I'm not going to wear a three-piece suit. No it just no, that that doesn't work, but if I'm speaking to attorneys uh, or, or you know CEOs, I'm not going to go in there with jeans and uh, a polo shirt. So you, you know the first is that there is a first impression in the way you look, you know the way you carry yourself. so that's number one. number two is again, let's get back to this concept of disc, all right mm-hmm. Each style. When you, when you are trying to connect to make that first impression, you've got to do some different things right up front. Otherwise, uh, you know that old saying, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Right. So, so, for instance, with the Ds, the dominant, the fast-paced, bottom line, what we want to do in making a good first impression, skip the small talk, lead with the main points, and show up on time and fully prepared. With the I's, we want to make sure that we we are a bit more upbeat, enthusiastic, uh, allow them a little bit more time uh, to tell stories. Uh, We want to develop the relationship before we get down to business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, With the S's,
0: the steady people, the
1: steady, the more amiable, relater types. Uh, we we don't want to rush into the agenda. We want to develop the relationship. We want to take an active interest in them. We want to stick to business a little, until they really warm up to us. Uh, they do business with people they trust. And with the C's, the more analytical thinking patterns, we want to skip the small talk, we want to bring an agenda, and we want to re- remain a little bit more cool, calm, and professional with them. So that it's not just the way we look and the way we carry ourselves, which is very important, but also how we open up. A lot of people think that, hey, uh we will will dress for success and that'll be the first impression. Well, it, you know, it is good, but then eventually you got to open your mouth, mouth right? <laughs> and 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 that can uh quickly sink the ship.
0: Interesting. All right, we're going to come back and talk more about that. We're going to take a short break now and we'll be back in just a second with my guest Tony Alessandra as we talk about self-assessment and various personality types in that DISC model that he had talked about. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect & Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect & Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Alright, I'm back with my guest today, Dr. Tony Alessandra. Speaker Hall of Fame. Been working with Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of salespeople over the year about uh, how to assess themselves, to become better at building relationships. Um, I guess the question is, okay, we, we do an assessment. and this is maybe a little more philosophical, but can people change? That's always the question I get asked and you know people sometimes say how can they resist training and, and sometimes this resist this feedback they get through assessments because they're saying, "Ah, I am the way I am, I can't change or so on. But your opinion, can people change?
1: All right. So let me clarify something first. And that is some people call uh, the behavioral models, whether it's social styles, whether it's uh, uh, true colors, MBTI, mm-hmm. or DISC, some of them call it personality style. It is not personality style. Personality style is much more in-depth, uh, in, in depth, ingrained, uh, genetic to some degree. Uh, what, what DISC is, is and and other four style models what what they are are behavioral styles not personality styles so can personality change well yeah but a lot of psychologists believe that from birth to death you don't change your personality more than about two percent unless there's a significant emotional event in your life with behavior You can change your behavior from moment to moment, person to person, situation to situation. So can you change your DISC style? And, And the key here is adaptability. Adaptability is your ability to change your approach or change your strategy depending on the situation or the person you're dealing with. So can a D style the dominant style be adaptable of course can the i the s the c absolutely can you have one pattern at work and another at home yes so you know the whole thing is yes you can change your behavior but there's two parts to it all right so when we talk about adaptability adaptability in my uh research and and created with my one of my co-authors dr michael o'connor uh what, what we have uh, found is that adaptability consists of flexibility and versatility. Flexibility is your willingness to change, and versatility is your ability to change. Flexibility is your attitude. Versatility is your aptitude. So there are some people who know what to do, but decide, hey, it's my way or the highway. All right. This is the way I am, always have been, take me or leave me. Uh, So not much flexibility, but may have versatility. They may know what to do. I'm just not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Then there are people who say, yeah, I really want to change, but they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do uh, differently when they're with a D, I, S, or C. Uh, You know, I've labeled adaptability the platinum rule. You know, we all know the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All right. In other words, treat people the way you want to be treated. But the platinum rule is do unto others as they would have you do unto them. In other words, treat people the way they want and need to be treated. And Andy, as we're speaking about selling, I then take that and say, really, really, Good salespeople, great salespeople know how to adjust their selling style to fit the customer's buying style. So, uh, again, I don't know if I've answered your well, question.
0: Well, no, I mean, it is. And I mean, sort of the next question <laughs> and followed what you just said is that, okay, we know the elite can do that. So, wow, the challenge is how do we get a greater percentage of the sales reps to do that? I mean, we've got this. You know, bell curve or eighty twenty distribution that we want to talk about in terms of performers versus non performers, and there is increasing amount of focus these days in the field on saying, okay, well, if I can just make these these sort of B players better, not necessarily make them consistently A players, but make them more consistently better, uh, that has you know bigger impact on the company than anything I can do with those elite players. So it seems like challenges. Right. Yeah, how do you, how do we get these people to become adaptable, to have the flexibility and versatility to adapt to the change that they need
1: all right so uh again let me just back up i'm going to do the bell curve uh that that relates exactly to what you said the great people etc so uh, if we use the classic 80 20 rule about 20 percent of the salespeople are naturals they're good they're they're in a constant uh, learning posture they're always trying to improve themselves they're always going to get better and better uh then there is the bottom 20 percent who No, You know, they they just either don't care or no matter what they do, they're just not going to get that much better. What we really want to focus on is that middle 60% that you're talking about, the B players. So we have A, B, and C. So with the B players, we have to show them uh, either through proof uh, or, uh, you know, seeing other salespeople uh, that have gone through the program, show them how their actual sales, their sales results, their customer loyalty, their their customer uh, uh satisfaction, their the and and their commissions can go up by learning how to adjust their selling style to fit the customer's buying style. And then walk them through a program. For instance, I, I actually have a program. I call it my disk virtual training. It's a, it's a video-based e-learning program, step-by-step in bite-sized pieces that, that salespeople can go through, tells them, everything about the concept. After each little bite-sized piece, each bite-sized piece is anywhere from, let's say, two to five minutes. There's a quiz question. There's a big, you know, end of program, uh, 20-question exam uh, where they got to score 80%. And it walks them through the whole concept of DISC. How do you identify a customer very quickly based on their verbal, vocal, and visual communications? And then how do you adapt How do you adapt in general, and then how do you adapt in each phase of the sales process? Everything from connecting with the the customer, exploring their needs, collaborating solutions, confirming the sale, and assuring customer satisfaction. But, But this is it's it's not something that that should be done andy in a one day program okay we're going to put everybody through a one day program and and hopefully by the end of the day you're <laughs> going to know what to do no, no
0: it's the classroom training model's broken i mean what yeah, you described it, is the way we need to do it
1: right bite sized pieces over a period of time it's almost like painting a room that needs three coats when you put on the first coat you don't immediately put on the second coat it smears, you wait till it dries, and that 's what the whole concept of learning is little bite-sized pieces let it uh, let let the, let the person uh, digest it, use it, get comfortable with it you know over a, a day, two days a week, and then add the next phase and the next and the next, and so on. so we just have to make sure that As we're taking salespeople through this, we give them a little at a time, make sure they get comfortable with it, coach them on it, uh, uh, make sure they're comfortable with it before we add the next phase of this. And that's what this whole concept is all about, you know, bite-sized pieces. But I will tell you this after all these years, and I've been in this business, Andy, I hate to say over 40 years, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt and you mentioned thousands of sales people, I'm, I'm going to actually probably say certainly more than a million. Okay. All over the world, many countries, this absolutely, positively, unquestionably works.
0: Good. Okay. Well, last question before I move to the last segment of the show is Assessments, pre, pre-hiring assessments. What's your your take on that? Are they reliable? I mean, I get the question all the time from from senior people that are doing sales hiring, and you know, I'm kind of conflicted about whether they think it's a valuable tool or not. What's what's your take?
1: All right, my take is it is definitely a valuable tool, but not the end all and be all of hey, I'm going to hire or not hire based on the results of this. This uh, pre-hire test. We have several different uh, pre-hire assessments. Some are just a single assessment. Others are as many as three different assessments that are all integrated into uh, uh, some sort of an answer. But it's only one piece of the puzzle. You know, we we kind of tell our clients use the the uh, selection assessments no more than 20% of what, what the hiring decision may be. Look at their experience. Look at their credentials. Look at their education. Look at their experience. Look, look at how they perform in an interview. There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle other than just Uh, selection tool. But it is another piece to the puzzle that I think is very important because it tells you uh, where the person's strengths and struggles may may be. And we don't basically tell somebody, don't hire. We just say, hey, we're going to give this person a grade, everything from an A to a D. Even people that get a D, if you want to hire this person based on all the other things that they've aced That's great. We're going to tell you what to do in terms of training the person and making sure that you shore up the areas where they may have some uh, some weaknesses or some struggles. Uh, We 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 have done this, by the way, in the academic environment. And we can actually, to a pretty good uh, uh, probability, predict which students are going to struggle in college. And we don't tell the university, don't accept this person. We simply tell the university, here is a person who early on is more likely than others to struggle. So what we suggest is if you're going to accept this person, make sure early on you give them time management training, you give them study skills, and you have uh, a tutor. Uh, and support ready for them, because once they can get through the first, let's say, semester or two, uh, then they will be ready to do things on their own. Uh, Whereas other students can come in, you know, who may have had high scores on this uh, pre-selection tool, uh, and they don't need all of that hand-holding up front. It's the same thing in sales.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, and that's uh, the part, I think, that a lot of managers don't realize, is when you get this, use an assessment that gives you the information you talked about is, okay, you may hire this person, but this is what they're going to need from a support standpoint, because no one's perfect coming in, right? There's going to be pluses and minuses in all those categories. Exactly. exactly. And you can't use the assessments as a substitute for your own judgment, but as a data point along the way. But if you get that additional information that says, yeah, okay, if you do hire this person, here's what you need to do for them, I think is make sure you have an assessment that gives you that data. Absolutely. All right, well, good. We're going to move to our last segment of the show. Uh, I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one is, is a hypothetical scenario where you're the star of the show. You've just been hired in the scenario. You've just been hired as a new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out. And they're looking for you to turn things around. And so what, what two things could you do the first week on the job that could have the biggest impact?
1: All right. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to customers and I'm going to ask them how how we're performing. How are the salespeople performing? How about our products? How about our company? I want to see if it's the salespeople, the products, the services, or the company policies and procedures. I, uh, so I'm going to go to present customers, <clears throat> and I'm going to try to go to people who decided not to buy to try to find out what was it. Was it our, our people? Was it our products? Was it our competitors uh, where we didn't uh, come into place mm-hmm. uh, or, or uh, do, the, do the trick. Then once I gather that information, I'm going to put together a program uh, to start looking at ways to, to either improve one or more of our products and services, our company policies and procedures. Uh, uh, I'm going to look at how we compare Uh, advantages and disadvantages to our major competitors and look at where the salespeople are falling uh, in various areas. And and what I want to do is make sure that I create a program for the salespeople that is unique to each salesperson. I'm not going to put everybody through something on how to confirm a sale because some salespeople may be better – than others. I'm going to create, and this is why we have something called our sales IQ plus assessment. Mm -hmm. It's a way that we can assess individual salespeople and see where their strengths and struggles are and create a unique customized uh, uh, sales development program for each and every salesperson rather than the entire sales force together.
0: Love it. Okay, great. All right. So here's some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers if you want. You can elaborate. It's up to you. So when you, Tony, are out selling, what's your most powerful sales asset?
1: My personality.
0: Who's your sales role model?
1: Sales role model. Wow. Uh, I'm not sure I actually have one. Uh, as a, I would say, oh, I know. I know who it is. uh. uh Oh, my gosh. Ricky – I can't think of his last name. Ricky Maladonia something like that. He was my sales manager when I sold cookware. And he's the one who really, really uh, uh, was a role model for me. I mean, I watched what that guy did, and he was absolutely a superstar.
0: Yeah, I mean, sales – Sales is an apprenticeship. I mean, that's people right. tend to that's forget exactly it's an apprenticeship. Right. Watching people is the easiest and best way to learn. Um, what's the one book, any than other than any of your own, that every salesperson should read?
1: Psycho Cybernetics. Wow. By Maxwell Maltz.
0: Haven't heard that title come up, and that's a great, great, great answer. Yep. All right, here's a tough question for you. What music is on your playlist these days?
1: I'm uh, I'm a baby boomer. Mm-hmm. So my playlist is either the uh late fifties, early sixties, oldies, or the uh the the uh typically the early seventies sort of uh R and B soul jam type stuff, like the Manhattan's, mm-hmm. Love Smokey Robinson, right. uh, uh you know, Luther Vandross, uh those kinds of of, of songs. Barry White. Well, not not necessarily no, Barry, White? Barry okay. White. No, no, but you know, this, uh, you know, I like the singing groups. I really oh, okay. do. Uh, four you know, Tops. Frank Lyman and the Teenagers, the Four Tops, right. the Temptations, the Shirelles. You know, to me, the Shirelles were the greatest uh, female singing group, more more so than than even Diana Ross and the Supreme. So, uh, th- those are the kinds of things I like.
0: Okay, great stuff. Yeah, I wish we had more of that (laughs) R&B these days. Though Aloe Black, if you get a chance to listen to him, very—I don't know if you listen to him. You should A A A L O E B L A C or maybe two C's at the end. Really, really good. He's he's a throwback. Quite good. Good. All right. So, uh, last question for you then is the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople.
1: Boy. I would, uh, that's a tough question. I, I, am not sure I can come up with one thing, but probably, uh, uh, I would say that probably the biggest thing is how do I open up either a cold call sale or a referral sale, you know, with somebody mm-hmm. new, uh, or, uh, I'm going to give you three. How do I effectively sell against uh, strong competition?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then third, uh, uh, how do I really effectively close a sale without being manipulative? You know, like the you know the tie-down close, the sharp angle close, right. you know those kinds right. of things.
0: So let's so, let's let's answer. What's your answer to the last one? I would say uh,
1: how to sell against the competition. That would probably be the biggest thing that I hear.
0: Okay, so answer that one. What's your answer when you get that?
1: Well, I tell them that what they have to do is uh, take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle. On one side, uh, put uh, advantages. On the other side, put disadvantages. And then uh, all the way to the very, very left Write down your uh, three or four biggest competitors that you come in contact with and then start answering those questions. Under the advantages, how you stack up against each and every competitor, that tells you how to build those advantages into your sales presentation. And on the disadvantages, what you need to do is make sure you have answers to those disadvantages because they're very likely to come up in the form of objections if you are, in fact, in a... Uh, a, a competition uh, against that competitor with a new client.
0: Okay. Love it. Good. Well, Tony, thank you for being our guest today. Tell people how they can find out more about you.
1: Well, you can find out about me by uh, either going to my assessment business. It's Assessments, A-S-S-E-S-S-M-E-N-T-S 24X7. So assessments 24 dot 7com You can come to my personal site, which is Alessandra.com, A-L-E-S-S, A-N-D-R-A.com, or just send me an email if you want to chat with me, Uh, Dr. Tony at Alessandra. Excuse me, Dr. Tony at Assessments24x7.com. So it's D-R-T-O-N-Y at Assessments24x7.com.
0: Perfect. Again, thank you for being our guest today.
1: My pleasure. and Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, yeah. My pleasure entirely. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, whether on your commute, in the gym, or at your morning sales huddle. Make certain that you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Tony Alessandra, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time. This is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.